Well, good morning, Living Hope Church. So good to be with you this morning as we continue our study in the book of Ruth. If you don't know who I am, my name is Pastor Ed Mejia. I'm the church planting resident here at Living Hope Church. Uh, And I got updates. I got very quick updates. So here's what's going on with the process as we journey on towards Chandler, Arizona. Uh, Two weeks ago, my wife and I went to Las Vegas, Nevada to complete our in-person assessment interviews with Acts 29. And it was both an amazing and encouraging time as much as it was challenging. It was definitely a challenge to have brothers look at our plans, look at our lives, but at the same time to to pastor us, to care for us, to give us wisdom and guidance. And so uh, we are currently right now with Tim, with the pastors in Anchor Church in Arizona, all looking together at the assessment reports. We're looking at the recommendations. So please, Pray for us. Pray that, pray that the Lord would give us wisdom as we, as we look at what God is, is asking of us to do in this season as we prepare so that we can have the best possible lead up to Chandler. Amen. And if, and if you still haven't signed up, please know we do have a newsletter. Uh, I don't know if some of you were able to see it, but we did put together a short video of our trip to Arizona. So if you want to check out a little more, see, hear a little more from me and my wife, you definitely want to check out uh, that video. It's pretty, pretty interesting. Well, if you have your Bibles with you, would you open them to Ruth chapter 3? If you're using the blue Bibles that are in the back, or if you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to grab one in the back. That would be page 223. While you get there, you know, when my wife and I spend time with other couples, one of our favorite questions to ask is, how did you meet? We love hearing that story. It's, it's always a, a fun thing to do for us. And, and I just kind of want to share you our story really quick. So the first time my wife saw me, she thought I was like, okay, he's cool. He's a Christian, but he's, he's an ugly break dancer. That's all she kind of thought. She was like, you know what? He's all right. The funny thing is that the first time she saw me was at a youth rally. It was a youth event. And so I was dancing there with my friends. And, and that was the first, one of the first times her and her mom came to church. And so when I'm up there and my wife sees me and she says, ooh, he ugly. His mom leans over, not knowing what my wife was thinking. Her mom leans over and says, you're going to marry that boy one day. And my wife goes, um, no. But God had other plans. Come on, somebody. <laughs> God had other plans. I mean, little did she know that God had other things in mind. And and see, thank God for my mother-in-law, because she played matchmaker that day. And today in our story, we're going to see Naomi play matchmaker just like my mother-in-law did. You see, the book of Ruth was written in part to tell the story of King David's family history. So this is kind of like a King David's edition of How I Met Your Great-Grandmother. And so I want to recap for us what we've looked at for the last few weeks as we lead up to chapter 3. So as you know, we're continuing our study here. And and the story begins with tragedy and loss, right? Uh, It starts with a famine and a family. Ahimelech and his wife, Naomi, have to move away because there's a famine in the land. So they move to Moab. And while in Moab, they have two sons who marry Moabite women. and, And the tragedy is that all... Both her son and her husband pass away. And now here's Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah having to kind of fend for themselves in a society where women heavily rely upon having men to be providers, protectors, and such. And, And keep in mind, this is happening during the times of the judges. 
So if you remember our study in the book of Judges, it was definitely a bad time for Israel. Everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. So it was definitely not a safe time for a husband and sons to pass away. Sadly, after 10 years, you know, we, we, we see that, that the sons die. And so Naomi sets out to head back to Judah and tells her daughters-in-law to come back, to go back home. Excuse me. She's like, girls, look, please go back home. That's the safest thing you can do right now. That's where you're going to find some safety and security. And so Orpah's like, you know what? I'm out. And she leaves. She goes back home to Moab. But Ruth says, no, I'm going to stay with you. We find that in those 10 years that she was probably, that she was with Naomi and her family, she got to know the God of Israel. She got to know the God of the Bible. She says, no, look, I want to stay with you. I want to, I want your people to be my people and I want your God to be my God. I'm not going anywhere. And so they go back together and, and, and Ruth in turn shows this great kindness and loyalty to Naomi by staying with her to care for her. See, Ruth wasn't just turning away from safety. She was turning away even from her people, her culture. She was saying, no, I'm going with you all the way. And so with a heart of grief, Naomi sets out back to Judah. And and, and they they are now in this chapter 2. They're seeking to survive, basically. They're returning back to Bethlehem. And at the beginning, they're doing this at the beginning of the barley harvest. And so Naomi, knowing the law of God, sends Ruth to glean in the fields. We heard about that last week. But Ruth, of course, is a foreigner, and she knows that sometimes owners aren't so welcoming. So Ruth goes to glean, hoping that she might find some favor, and this sets up Ruth and Boaz's first encounter, right? Boaz notices Ruth, and he learns that she's seeking to care for Naomi, and she shows great kindness and favor. Uh, excuse me, he shows great kindness and favor and makes provision for her, and he makes sure she's safe and that she has access to all she needs. Do you see the love story kind of rolling out here? The kindness went beyond what would have been required. When Ruth returns to Naomi, it's clear that Naomi sees the favor of God in all that's been provided. And Naomi finds out that it was Boaz who showed Ruth this kindness. And Boaz just so happens to be a relative of Naomi. So Naomi's like, hold up. Did you say Boaz? I know Boaz because... I'm related to one. And hope is beginning to start to get restored in Naomi's heart. She realizes God has not forsaken her or her late husband. Because Naomi knows that Boaz is a kinsman redeemer. So what is a kinsman redeemer? Let's review really quick. The role of the kinsman redeemer is rooted in the Old Testament laws of mercy and redemption. If a man became impoverished and is forced to sell his property, his nearest relative is expected to redeem the property. To buy back the land. Now, if a man marries and dies before he's had a son to carry on his name, his brother is expected to marry the widow. And the firstborn son of the new union will carry on the name of the deceased brother. And so today we enter our third act of the story. Naomi has managed to secure temporary uh, relief, temporary security for her and Ruth by the gleaning arrangement that they have now. But now in this chapter, we're going to see that Naomi's focus turns to how do we achieve a long-term security and stability for Ruth? Let's read what Naomi uh, says to Ruth as they seek out redemption. Let's read chapter 3 together. I'll pray. We'll break our outline down and we'll dive right in. Then Naomi, 
her mother-in-law said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but arose before one could recognize her. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask, Lord God, that you would, in these next few moments, open our eyes and our hearts to hear your word, Father, to receive it, Father. Lord, give us ears to hear your word today, to be reminded of the truth, Lord, that you are a great redeemer and that there's nothing beyond uh, what you can do to save, Father. We thank you that you have brought us together, Lord God, to sit under your word together, Lord, to feed on your word, to be filled with hope and strengthened in you. Help us to see you. We love you, God, and it's in your great name we pray. Amen. Now, if you have your, your brochure, your, your I, brochure, I call it the bulletin, <laughs> you'll see there's a breakdown in there. Here's the breakdown of this chapter. Simply this. We're going to see the plan for redemption in verses 1 through 5. We're going to see the pursuit of redemption in verses 6 through 13. And we're going to see the pledge of redemption. Because they are actually here seeking redemption. And that's the title of today's sermon, Seeking Redemption. And here's the main idea. Here's the main idea. If, if, if you remember one thing, this is the one thing I would want you to remember. If you are seeking redemption, seek the Redeemer. If you are seeking redemption, simply seek the Redeemer. And, and this is important for us to get, and, and I'll explain why. Many times when we fail, what do we try to do? We try to redeem ourselves through our good works. Sometimes we live like karma is a real thing. And we know it's not. 
As if my good deeds can cancel out my evil deeds, only to find out that we can never do enough. The second reason this is important is because we are all seeking redemption. And today my prayer is to play matchmaker. I pray that God would help me introduce you to the one and only redeemer of the world, Jesus Christ. So let's take a look at how Naomi and Ruth sought out redemption. Look at the plan for redemption in verses 1 and 2. She says, Naomi, her mother-in-law said to her, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you? Here we see that Naomi is thinking ahead, right? As a faithful and concerned mother, she is seeking to find rest for Ruth. And, and finding rest it means securing a home, securing a marriage. Now, at first glance, if, if you look at this initial plan breakdown, this may appear kind of self-seeking because of Naomi's situation. But the text clearly tells us that the reason why she wants to seek rest for Ruth, why she wants to seek security and stability for her, is that it may be well with you, is what verse 1 tells us. Verse 2 says, is not Boaz our relative who's, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley at night, tonight at the threshing floor. Now, if you think about it, if Naomi is seeking secure long-term rest for Ruth, who again is a Moabite, it makes sense for her to consider someone who's already showing interest. Naomi could could tell that Boaz is kind of having a a, a thing for Ruth by the way he treated her in chapter 2. But also, more than that, she knows that Boaz is a generous and honorable godly man. And though Boaz wasn't the nearest kinsman, she did see his kindness might mean he'd be willing to be her kinsman redeemer. Ruth, on the other hand, has set, uh, finding a spouse, uh, aside. Like she don't, she's not looking for a spouse right now. She's trying to care for Naomi. She's not looking for a man. This is why Naomi had to suggest him as a potential candidate. So Naomi tells Ruth where she can find Boaz tonight. He'll be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. So how does she know that? Well, the people of Bethlehem used to take turns at the threshing floor. The grain, uh, the, the, the floor was a flat, hard area on a slightly raised platform or a hill. In threshing, the grain was beaten out of the stalks with flails or it was trodden by an oxen. And then in winnowing, the grain was thrown in the air... And the wind carried away the shaft or the hard outer shell. The grain was then removed from the threshing floor. It was placed in heaps so it could be sold or stored. And they would, they would normally do this later in the evening when it was a little windier as it was customary for harvesters even to sleep there to protect it. So they would do this work and they would sleep there. Now in verse 3, we see that Naomi instructs Ruth to get herself together like it's date night. <laughs> She tells her, go and wash yourself, anoint yourself, put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. Now, I can't lie. At first, I read this, and I was like, is Naomi trying to be a fairly godmother here? Like, is she trying, like, to make her desirable for Boaz? Yes, maybe, maybe, right? But, but I also think that the language of washing yourself and anointing yourself was a sign that mourning was over. Remember, they're widows. And if you remember in 2 Samuel 12, 20, when David was grieving, King David, once grieving was over, what did he do? He washed and anointed himself. 
And so Naomi continues in verse 5, breaking down the plan. She says, but do not make yourself known to the man until he finishes eating and drinking. But when he does, when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go uncover his feet and lie down. And he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. I know what you're thinking. What is up with this plan? It's pretty specific and straight up strange. It's weird. Okay, so here's the plan. Let me break it down for you. Let him eat. Let him drink till he falls asleep. Then watch where he lays down. And then uncover his feet. Lie down and he'll tell you what to do. That sounds to me like what you tell the family dog to do, right? It just lays at your feet. I don't know about you, but I would have questions. I would wonder, like, why? But look at Ruth's response. All that you say, I will do. Huh. Is is, is Ruth crazy for trusting Naomi's advice? Some would think so, but I think Ruth's response is yet again a demonstration of her loyal love and commitment toward Naomi. It was kind of the same one that we saw in chapter 1 when she promises to stay with Ruth. And so before we continue on in the story, I just want to give you two quick takeaways just in this portion of the story. And here's the first thing if you're taking notes. We may plan, but only God's purposes stands. We need to remember that this is not just Naomi's plan to seek redemption. When we zoom out from the story, we realize that this is actually God's plan at work. God is the redeemer and the protector of the weak and the vulnerable. It's God's plan to care for the widow and the orphan. God is the one who instituted the practice of kinsman redeemer. And Naomi is seeking out just that man. It's God who welcomes the foreigner, the grieving, the hopeless. He's the one who gives hope and security to the lost. God is the one who providentially acts in the day-to-day joys and hardships of life In order to bring us closer to him. Naomi may have made plans. But God was the one in command. Proverbs 19.21 tells us many are the plans in the mind of man. But it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Here's the second takeaway just from this section. Did you see how Naomi and Ruth. I mean Ruth hears this plan and says all that you say I will do. That messed with me a little bit. If you're taking notes, the second takeaway is this. Trusting God's plan starts with trusting God is good. As we observe in her response, we see this remarkable loyalty and trust and agreeing to do all that she says. I got to ask, do we trust God this way? Does God have to explain the plan to you? Does the plan have to make perfect sense to you before you obey? Has God ever given you a reason not to trust him? Ruth knew with certainty that Naomi had the best in mind for her. Which is why she chooses to obey without questioning. In the same way God has the best in mind for you and I, his children, we too can trust God and rest in his loyal love for us. Father, help us today. To remember that you have the best in mind for us in the deepest parts of our hearts that it would lead to obedience and faith. This whole assessment has really like challenged plans, right? Since we even started, my wife and I said, hey, we want to 
we want to plant a church and we join the residency, one of the first lessons we learned was, hey, keep these things with open hands. Because it's the plan of the Lord that we want. We don't want our plans. We want God's plans. But, but, and sometimes it's hard to let go of those plans, right? You know what it's like. You plan to go left. He said go right. And, and, and here's the way you let go of your plans. You remember that God is good. Therefore, his plans for you are good. Amen? So now let's see how Ruth goes in pursuit of redemption with Naomi's plan. Look at the pursuit in verses 6 through 13. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law commanded her. Verse 7, and when Boaz had eaten and drunk, his heart was merry. He went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and laid down. Naomi, the matchmaker, called it. She called the whole game plan, and it happened just as she called it. He ate, he drank, and went to lay down. Now, if I'm honest with you, being that I grew up in a world where reality TV exists, and shows like The Bachelor are a thing, I got to tell you, this whole thing looked kind of sketchy to me, right? My 20, you know, in, in my 21 century perspective, I got to say, hmm, something's funky. But... Let's let's talk about that. Some commentators suggest that what Ruth did here presented an opportunity for immorality. But nothing in the passage supports that. Her mother-in-law had complete confidence in the integrity of the kinsman redeemer. And Boaz could be trusted to act responsibly based on his dealings with Ruth in chapter 2. Ruth was recognized by everyone as a noble, a woman of noble character. So let's keep that in mind that this is happening during the days of the judges, right? And if you remember this series, right, we saw how everyone was doing right in their own eyes. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. If this story happened in the book of Judges, this story would have took a nasty turn. But it didn't. Against the background of the messiness of Israel in the days of the judges, Ruth, a Moabite, Boaz, a Hebrew landowner, shine bright as examples of purity, faith, and responsible living. See, this story... It's a great reminder for us that even in the darkest times, God was at work in the heart of his faithful remnant. So now let's get back to the story. She waits for him to eat, drink, and sleep. Three things people need after a long day of work. Why wait till dark? Well, there are varying reasons among commentators. But I think it was to get Boaz's undivided attention without having to be worried about the, their reputation among the townspeople. Now look at verse 7. By this time he's asleep, it's midnight, and she quietly uncovers his feet and lays at his feet. Some, some suggest that this was to gently wake him up since it would have been cold around this time of night. So let's read on to verse 8. It says, at midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. He wakes up and he is startled to find that there's a woman at his a woman at his feet. Understandably so, right? It's dark, and so he asks, Who are you? And Ruth identifies herself. She responds as his servant. Not Ruth the Moabite, not Ruth Naomi's daughter-in-law, but humbly identifies herself as his servant. Laying at his feet could have also communicated that humility. 
Laying at his feet might have been a, a sign of, of, of submission to his authority. Think about ladies in the New Testament who laid at Jesus' feet, right? Mary laid at Jesus' feet while Martha was working. She was submitted to Christ. She was under the authority. Mary bows and anoints Jesus' feet with her alabaster perfume and washes it with her hair. At the resurrection, the disciples, when Jesus appears to them, they they fall down and hold to his feet. So I think she was simply humbling herself under him. Then she asked him to spread his wings over her. For you are a redeemer. What exactly is she asking Boaz? The language of spreading his wings is similar to, to if, if you remember Ezekiel, uh, the, the metaphorical accounts in Ezekiel where God spreads his, his skirt over naked Jerusalem and as an act of protection and, and, and as a precursor to marriage. Ruth's worth, words could be taken in effect as a marriage proposal. And this was a request to come under his protection, to come under his provision. If you remember in Ezekiel 16, 8, this is what God says to Israel. He says, when I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love. And I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God. And you became mine. And it's interesting to note, too, that, that Boaz spoke similar words to Ruth in chapter 2, verse 12. When she hears about all she's doing for Naomi, he responds to her and says, The Lord repay you for what you've done. A full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Seems like God heard Boaz, huh? Ruth, in essence, is asking Boaz to be her redeemer through marriage. Will he do it? Well, we'll see. Now, a quick side note. <laughs> this proposal is not to be understood in the same way that we practice proposing to our wives in the Western world. This was a humble request from a Moabite woman for a redeemer. And though she asked Boaz to marry her, her request seemed to focus on protection, provision, redemption, right? Boaz ultimately was the one who made it happen. So, ladies, this is not the Bible telling you to take a knee and seal the deal. I'm just saying. Now, fellas, think about the day you proposed. Weren't you a little nervous? Now, Ruth is probably terrified. And he said this to her in verse 10. Look what Boaz's response to her is. May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made the last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after younger men, whether poor or rich. Boaz was flattered and moved by Ruth's kindness in seeking him out. He was pleased that she chose to turn and trust him rather than a younger man, whether poor or rich. By this response, we know he understands what she's asking for. Look at verse 11. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Boaz eases Ruth's fears, and he reassures her that he will do as she asks because he knows she's a worthy woman. He didn't let anyone harm her while she was in his field, and he wanted her to feel the same kind of safety in this moment. And so Boaz continues in verse 12, and now it is true, I am a redeemer. 
Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Verse 13, remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he will not redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So Boaz affirms he is a redeemer, but he's also a righteous man. Can you see it? He says, I'm willing to do it, but I'm going to do this the right way. See, there's a redeemer nearer than I. He knew that Ruth, by her marriage into Elimelech's family, had a relative who was more closely related to her than he was. But Boaz would, would do all he could <laughs> to see that the outcome would be the one that would satisfy Ruth's request. And in verse 13, here we see him acting responsibly. We see Boaz acting responsibly in two ways. Number one, he didn't send her home in the middle of the night. He told her to stay. He protected her and he would not touch her until she was rightfully his. He tells her to lay at his feet until morning. And the second way we see Boaz being responsible too is that he protected the rights of his nearer kismen. In other words, the relative had the right to redeem her. And he wasn't going to take that right from him. He covered his pledge to her, to Ruth, with a vow in the name of Yahweh. There was no doubt what Boaz wanted. So let me highlight one simple truth in this whole passage. I know there was a lot there. But I'm just going to give you one simple truth out of that. There is no redemption apart from a redeemer. There is no redemption. In Ruth, we can see that if we are to seek redemption, we must come to the Redeemer. There are wrongs that we could never right. Life can sometimes feel like you're trying to clean yourself up in a mud bath. And Ruth is faced with the reality that she cannot change herself. Think about this. She, again, is an outsider. She's a foreigner. Let's not forget that Moab was known to be an enemy of Israel. She can't force Boaz to marry her. She's hoping and believing that he will. There's no way for her to fix this on her own. She has to completely rely on Boaz for redemption. And church, today I want to remind you that we have a greater redeemer than Ruth. One who never sleeps and never slumbers. Boaz had to be pursued, but Jesus is the, redo the redeemer who pursues us. He's the one who spreads his wings over us to protect us, to, to make provision for us, to provide for us. See, Boaz vowed to redeem Ruth no matter what. And in the same way, Jesus vowed to redeem us even if it meant dying on the cross in our place. Jesus is the greater redeemer, the one who's able to welcome us into his family, the one who made provision for our sin by laying down his own life. He's, he's the one who, who gives us a true and greater eternal rest, safety and security and stability. And all that's required is that we believe and lay our lives at his feet. Listen, if you don't know Jesus this morning, if you feel like there are some things you just know you can't fix, there's a redeemer here for you today. 
I pray today would be the day that you would turn from your sin, turn from your past, just like Ruth did. Just turn away from it and, and turn to Christ. Turn to him in forgiveness. Turn to him in repentance and, and receive the forgiveness of sin. Seek the Redeemer today. So let's continue. The sun's about to rise. Ruth did everything Naomi told her to do. Boaz has, has vowed. He's like, he's going to do, he's committed. I'm in. We're going to make this happen. And now it's time for Ruth to go back to Naomi, but not until Boaz makes a final pledge of redemption. Let's look at this pledge of redemption in chapter four, uh, in verse 14. It says, so she lay at his feet until morning, but arose before one could recognize uh, another. And he said, let it be known that the woman came, that, let it not be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. So Boaz, we see here, is still concerned, right, with the, with the town seeing them and complicating this whole situation. He seeks to send her home early enough so she's not recognized coming out of the threshing floor. And, and, and I like how one commentator said it. He says one of the reasons is because gossipers are not careful about facts. <laughs> So they're being careful, especially if they're trying to do this the right way. And before leaving, he tells her to bring her garment she's wearing and to hold it out so he can fill it with six measures of barley. So she's like basically putting out her garment and he's just pulling barley and he's putting six measures of barley, which a measure of barley is almost about 10 pounds. So she's carrying about 60 pounds of barley. Ruth is strong. She's definitely strong. And so she, she runs back to her mother-in-law and look at verses 16 through 18. How did you fare, daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her. Saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. So Naomi wastes no time. She's like, girl, how did it go? Ruth tells her all Boaz did for her. And specifically, he t- she tells her, not that he wouldn't let me go back unless I brought something for you. <laughs> Boaz was smooth. Fellas, this one's for free. Be nice to her mom, man. <laughs> but again, it was a sign to Naomi of God dealing favor- favorably with her. This generous gesture was significant to Naomi because Boaz did this so that Naomi could share in Ruth's future fulfillment. Naomi had done her matchmaking well, and she earned a reward for it. The aged widow could rest assured that she would not be forgotten in the future. And then Naomi gives Ruth one final piece of advice as we close this chapter. She says, wait. Wait until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Naomi was fully confident that Boaz would come through. And and as we close this portion of the story, I want to highlight for us some final thoughts on this reality here. Saints, first thing I notice here is that there is a reward for bringing people to the Redeemer. Can I talk to you, saints, for a minute? We are here on mission to proclaim the excellencies of the one who brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And in the same way that that, Ruth, that that Naomi played matchmaker, you and I play matchmaker between sinner and Christ. 
And the Bible does affirm in the New Testament that there are rewards for doing that. There is definitely rewards for you and I. As we bring people to Jesus, Jesus promises to reward us as we enter eternity. The second thing I want to talk about here in this particular section is that notice how the redeemed, or at this point in the story, potentially redeemed, right? Because they don't know yet. They're, they're confident, but they're like... But we see that Naomi and Ruth, who are being redeemed by Boaz, benefit directly from the Redeemer's labors. Think about this for a second. Where did this barley that Boaz gave Ruth came from? It came from his own work. He was at the threshing floor late night. He was literally sitting on his work and he said, girl, before you go, let me give you of what I've done. Let me give you from my labor. Take this with you. She was benefiting, Naomi was benefiting by, from the works of, of, of Boaz. And in the same way, you and I receive from the labors of Christ. Righteousness is given. It's accredited to us by faith. It's not something we can accrue on our own. We receive it because Christ was righteous. It's not earned, it's received. And we carry it with us for the glory of God and the good of others. Secondly, the barley was a sign to representing Boaz's pledge, right? Think about this. In Christ, you and I have been given the Holy Spirit as that same kind of pledge. A pledge of God's love for us until he returns. Let me remind you what Ephesians 1, 13, 14 says. In him, in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee. That translates the, the deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And I'm going to invite the worship team to come up as we close. Lastly, church, here's the last call I want to make for us this morning as we look at this story and how they pursued, how they sought out redemption. Here's the last call I want to make to us this morning. Keep pursuing Christ. Ruth pursued Boaz. But Boaz was the one who noticed her first, remember? Jesus has his eye on you, has had his eye on you. And he has done all that was necessary to make you his. Let that drive you to keep after him. This was what was in Paul's heart in Philippians 3, 12, and 14. And I'm going to read this, and I'm going to close it. And after we read, and after we pray... Together, we're going to turn our hearts to the Lord's table. We'll be able to partake in his body and blood and remember our redemption. We're going to remember his pledge of love in in the shedding of his blood and the breaking of his body for our sins. Let me read Philippians 3, 12 and 14. Would you stand with me? Paul says... Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus made me his own.
We pursue Christ because he has made us his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Christ has made you his own. Press on and pursue him today and forever. We're going to pray, and after we pray, I'm going to invite him up to lead us in the Lord's Supper. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are such a mighty redeemer, that you, Father, have pursued us and sought us out and brought us close. Father, today we can pursue you, Father, because we love you, Lord, because we've seen all you've done. Because you've deposited your Holy Spirit in our hearts, God, as a, as a guarantee of what's to come. Lord, we pray for every heart in this place, Lord, who feels they're still trying to fix things on their own. Father, let us sink down into their heart that there is a Redeemer who's here to clean, to save, to give us a brand new start, to make us a new creation. You are a great Redeemer. We love you, Father. We thank you. We put our hope and our trust in you. And we ask, Lord that you continue to show us your great mercy and love as we go on and journey. It's in your name we pray. Amen.